Hi, and welcome to episode five of Talking Peace, the podcast for Northern Ireland alternatives. We're now halfway through our very first season. That's hard to believe. So we want to say thank you to all of you who have uh, listened in or checked us out on SoundCloud, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a whole host of other platforms seem to be accessing the podcast. It's great to have you on this uh, a journey with us. So if you're out there and you're listening in and you would like to contribute in some way or there maybe is a subject area you'd like us to cover here on the podcast, get in touch with us. Email us uh, on podcast at alternativesrj.co.uk and uh, we'd only be too happy to see if we can get something sorted and include that in the podcast. This week's episode finds us in conversation with a group of youth work students from a local training organization. They called in to see us as they usually do on an annual basis to find out more about restorative justice and how they can apply that to their own youth work practice. So they met with uh, Billy Drummond, the manager from the Greater Shankill Alternatives Office, and uh, he gave the students an insight into where the organization got its start, how it developed and what it's become today, and also give them a bit of an insight into the values and the, the principles that we use in our day-to-day practice. So we hope that you enjoy the, the conversation and the questions from the, the youth work students on today's show. I'll catch up with you again at the end, just to give you a bit of an insight into what's coming up next. And uh, here we go. So I'll give you a wee bit of background, the alternatives for those that um, aren't aware of it, but... We started in around 1996 through a community conversation around the legacy of paramilitary punishment beatings and shootings. Um, Really, obviously, the ceasefires had been called in 1994. Um, There was a lot of activity around how we move into a more normal society. But one of the big issues that was still um, grappling with was around how do we actually stop people carrying out attacks within that community. So whilst people had sort of agreed not to, in some regard, attack each other's communities, there was an in, there was actually a big increase in attacks within the community by paramilitary groups basically acting as police, jury, executioners, whatever term you want to, informal vigilantes, I suppose. Um, and that had been going on for decades, going on from the very start of the Troubles. So... Our, our origins began looking at that issue um, and there was a number of people who came together after an approach had been made by Atlantic Philanthropies um, about, they were an American, um, there were American philanthropists group that, that did a lot of stuff behind the scenes in countries coming out of conflict. The conversations began with people who had been ex-prisoners in some of those groups about who wanted to actually move things forward in a more positive light. So that conversation led to a number of people of particular interests from statutory to community to victims of crime to parents of, of sons and daughters who had been you know, victims of punishment beatings coming together and saying, how do we actually address this problem? And... That basically took three years of talking, bringing people together, sounding out ideas, debating it with a whole range of people, as I say, from 
paramilitary groups themselves right through to um, church people, through to the police, probation services. One of the supposed light bulb moments that we talk about in that process was when um, Debbie Waters, who's our co-director here, um, had returned from work she was involved with in the United States. And it was suggested that um, that Tom, who was carrying out the research at the time, Tom Winston, should go and have a conversation with this girl because she had some great ideas. And it sort of fell with some of the ideas that they were talking about within the community. What Debbie Waters was able to bring to the table was a concept that nobody at that time had really heard of in Northern Ireland, and that was restorative justice. So really what she had been doing had been um, working in one of the first restorative justice programs in Elkhart, Indiana, in a church-based Mennonite program. And you can imagine, you know, the context in, in Indiana with Mennonite communities um, is very different than trying to introduce something in the Greater Shankill as a, as a sort of, you know, a legacy of trying to address violent conflict for 40 years. But what she did was she was able to apply um, and share some of her knowledge around working with young offenders um, and how restorative justice can take them through a process of identifying their responsibilities, how their actions have impacted on the victim, on their wider community and on themselves, and also how they can then be supported in addressing those problems. So that fitted very well, because one of the things that we found in the early days um, of the debate within the community was, if you are going to stop paramilitary punishment beatings, and everyone agreed um, that they were morally wrong, you shouldn't be beating anyone, let alone young people. Um, but this is, what ha- this is the abnormal society that we had. But if you were going to address those, then one of the legacies was that they happened within a vacuum of antisocial behaviour and crime. Um, communities were, were calling on people to address crime. In normal societies, that's usually the police. In a society that's where the conflict, that ended up that the paramilitaries played a role in that, particularly in communities like the Shankill and other areas that, that had high presence of paramilitaries. So you had to, it wasn't just as simple as saying, that's wrong, stop doing it. We knew that. But you had to provide an alternative. And that's where the concept of alternatives came. It was an alternative, non-violent alternative to informal paramilitary punishment beatings and shootings. And in doing that, then we developed a programme that was about working with those young people who tended to come onto the, the radar of those groups and try and work with them. So I suppose in the early days, it was very much um, a case-by-case process. So we tried to use whatever influence we had at a local level um, the, the leadership of, of those groups in the early days had generally said that, that they would support the exploration of something that could be done differently. Because contrary to belief, um, it wasn't the case that a lot of these people were roaming you know, the streets trying to find young people just to shoot them for the sake of it or beat them or threaten them. Um, a lot of them were, were responding to pressures within the community who felt that this was some form of justice. It isn't justice, it's, it's punishment, it's vengeance, it's violence and it's, it's worse form. Um, but it's what this community did and what many communities did over the years. So trying to change that mindset wasn't going to happen overnight. Um, so we started trying to work with those direct 
groups, but we also tried to simultaneously work with the community and say, you know, restorative justice is a concept that can be used here in Northern Ireland that can make a practical difference to your lives. So we work with the young people on a one-to-one basis, as I said, one-to-one support, a youth work approach, but underpinned by restorative justice. But we also learned very quickly that um, we needed to work with the victims of crime as well. We needed to support their needs because at the end of the day, if victims feel that nobody's listening to them, then they're more likely to turn to paramilitaries to try and get something done. So we worked um, in the early days with a range of different people from youth providers, church groups, residents associations, just anybody that was willing and interested in getting involved because we believed that in selling the concept of restorative justice, we were bringing people in. I suppose it was a wee bit of like, um, I suppose, evangelizing the community into the concepts of restorative justice. And the more we had selling the message, then the more people got involved. So again, we looked at residents who lived in tall, small, um, tight-knit communities, who knew everything that was going on in their community, who had a passion for their community, and we trained them up on the concepts and basic uh, philosophy of restorative justice. So they were then able to say, we see her up, up the street there, she's had her house burgled, she's living, she's traumatised, she hasn't come out of the house in three or four weeks. We were then able to provide support services around that needs. So it was about meeting the practical needs of victims. Um, it was about feeling that you know, they had people to turn to that wasn't just someone who was going to break someone's leg, it was someone that was going to try and address it in a more positive way, but also a practical way. So when we get through the doors, we see it who had her house burgled, we suddenly realised you know, that there could be mental health issues, there could be issues around poverty, there could be issues around debt, there could be issues around the landlord isn't repairing the house. All these different other issues that made her life experience more difficult. So the more that we could meet the holistic needs and the other needs, the more likely she was able to see that there was something practical that restorative justice was offering them. And that's really had developed. Um, so we worked with the young offenders. We had referrals directly from, from paramilitary groups. We then built up some relationships with other statutory providers. Um, we w- then decided, well, why are we waiting that these young people are in crisis? Um, we need to get out there. We need to try and prevent the problem before it becomes the bigger issue. So we did what probably a lot of users are doing. We got into youth programs. We went out on the streets. We went to where kids were hanging about. Um, and we tried to, to bring them in to get involved in preventative work developmental programs, anything that really got them involved in something more positive than causing harm in the community. Um, and then we obviously started going into schools. We started to, to try and provide awareness programs around if you get involved in this type of behaviour, here's the risks, here's the consequences that's going to come to you and your family and your community. Um, and over the years, I suppose, Alternatives has developed other sites then. Um, I'm going to jump very quickly to, obviously, 1996, 1998, we opened our doors for the first pilot in the Shankill. It was independently evaluated, and, and over the three years, we knew that it was having a positive impact on 
not only reducing paramilitary punishment beatings, but also reducing antisocial behaviour. So we knew it worked. Um, then the next was to try and support that to be rolled out to other areas. Unfortunately, 1998 was at a time when Good Friday Agreement um, was being negotiated. There was a, pl- a lot of political change in Northern Ireland. So policing was being looked at, the whole criminal justice system was being looked at, everything was being reformed. And here was these people in the back streets of the Shangle starting to talk about justice. And I suppose it made some people very nervous. Um, some people were nervous because they thought, well, these people must be linked to paramilitary groups and they're trying to get control. Some people, I believe, were nervous because their professional um, status was being challenged. Um, some of the statutory agencies who believed that they had an ownership on justice and could tell communities what they needed. Um, and some people were nervous because they were cynical. Um, just, you know, what, what is this early furry stuff coming from America, the shankle, you know, not into this tree-hugging stuff. So we they try and convince a whole range of different people, from the wee woman in the street to the paramilitary um, commander to the statutory agencies, that we were trying to do something that was positive and right. Um, unfortunately, there was an embargo on alternatives from within Northern Ireland, at that time, and we weren't allowed to get any funding within Northern Ireland. So Atlantic had allowed money from America to set us up in the initial programme, and then they supported the rollout. Um, there was there was concern from the departments, um, the, the NIO, the government, to say, well, if you are going to do justice in communities, then we need to have some checks and balances. You need to adhere to certain standards. And we, we completely agreed with that. So there was what was called the Criminal Justice Inspectorate um, who were brought in and and as a community-based restorative justice programme we had to prove that we were following proper human rights compliance, we had proper training, we had proper governance procedures, we were we were doing things in a, an orderly way and a proper way. We weren't making people participate, we weren't forcing kids or victims to do something against their will. It took a number of years, and eventually in 2001, we got government accreditation. Um, we thought that would open the floodgates for mainstream funding to come and establish us, but unfortunately, all it really did was allow us to do what every other community group could do, is to apply to groups in Northern Ireland to get funded. Um, but we established in four other areas, and we developed Northern Ireland Alternatives, which then oversees our sites. So currently we have a project here in Shankill, we've one in Bangor, we've one in South Belfast, East Belfast and in North Belfast. Um, and then Northern Ireland Alternatives oversees the funding and the governance of those sites. We've developed over the years, um, we've now service level agreements with nearly all statutory agencies that you could think of. So we do work for probation services to adult adjudicated offenders coming out of prison. We do stuff for the social services and the trusts. We have a relationship with the housing executive um, doing neighbourhood dispute uh, resolution. We work with Belfast City Council in our latest project, which is about looking at Indigenous communities becoming more susceptible and welcoming to new communities and new people of new backgrounds. We have cross-community partnerships. Um, we do schools work. So we do generally community safety, um, strategic stuff with regeneration across all the areas that we're operating in. So we've 
we've came a long way, I suppose, in um, 20 odd years now I've been here and um, it's still every day we do, there's something different comes through the door, there's new challenges and we try and respond to those new challenges. We also have, um, we believe that our approach is about a holistic approach and looking at crime and how it affects communities. So we intervene with young people at the sharpest end we negotiate with people who may be putting them on their threat or at risk of going to prison or jail. We work on a preventative model with young people around education and diversion. We work with victims, but we also work also with long-term stuff. So we have a program that is for 16 to 24 year olds who aren't in education, employment or training. And that's about, you know, once you get a kid out of the mess that they're in, you need to give them a future. Kids can't have a future if they don't have basic education. A lot of our kids coming in that programme um, don't have essential skills, English or maths, so the very base level education. So we get them in that, we do employability, and a considerable amount of them, over 53%, I think, at the last count, we get into employment. So again, you're looking at their future. We also have youth leadership programmes, so it's not just paying attention to the kids it's causing problems. It's about how do we develop the skills and capacity within our community for our young people. So we do that. So we have a whole range of different programs that we feel meet the holistic needs. And as I say, we also work then at a strategic level. So Debbie Waters is now the face chair of the policing board. So if you think of 1998, where we were embargoed, nobody was allowed to talk to us. We weren't allowed to get funding to the point that we're actually influencing the criminal justice system. I'll take a breath now and it'll probably be easier if you have questions. So these guys obviously are working in a whole variety of contexts. Right. Could you give us an example um, of like some how some of the principles of restorative justice might be applied? So let me give you a wee scenario. It's like, you know, the, the classic example is it's like you're in a programme, you have a young person who's potentially acting up or misbehaving, disruptive to the group. Even in a scenario like that, like classically, what I observe in some places is, well, like a person then or to get oh. chucked out. So, what's what does it look like that's different? How could you apply some of those principles of restorative justice in a scenario as small or simple as that, right up to someone under the threat of a paramilitary beating? Well, I suppose, um, and I didn't go into in the detail um, in regards to restorative values and principles and approaches, but really, there is no there is no magic formally here it's not a big you know theoretical concept it's basically very much based on a lot of the values around actually christian principles about how we actually treat each other um so for example if a kid is is acting out and we've all been in that situation whereas it might be very sort of you know tempting to just say get out and don't come back um i suppose what restorative justice would would try and do is try and give the responsibility on that young person to try and understand, you know, what they're doing, how it affects the wider group or the, the youth leader or the group itself, but more importantly, give them an opportunity to be heard. So what happened, who's been affected, and how can we put that right is the three simple questions that you can ask in any context. Um, and it would surprise you. I know sometimes we don't always have the time but I can assure you, sometimes it may take a wee bit more time initially, but it could save you a hell of a lot more time further down the road. And given 
the responsibility over to that person to say to that young person, you know, right, okay, you've done wrong. What way can you put right the harm? What What are you prepared to do to actually show that you recognise, first of all, why it's causing a problem and what you're prepared to do to put it right? And you've been cut. You know, you can become as creative as, as it is. I mean, it could be just simply apologising and actually having to, you know, say sorry is something that a lot of kids, you know, don't want to lose face over, don't want to do that. It could be something about helping out in the youth club. may not have to be done straight away. Maybe the time constraints don't allow that. But trying to explore with young people when they do wrong the consequences of it, and more importantly, giving them responsibility to try and make right it. Not always saying, right, bang, rules are broken, it's gone. That's how most punitive systems work. That's how the paramilitaries work. That's how our criminal justice system works. You know, you've done wrong. I'm going to hurt you in some way through some sanction, and in doing that, you'll stop. But we know that in lots of different contexts, that doesn't work. So I'm not saying that this is a panacea, I'm not saying it'll work all, but it's simple Christian youth work, human values of saying, I respect you, I don't like what you've done, but I respect you as an individual and I want to give you a chance to put right this. How can we do this? Have a conversation. It's youth work. It's it's basically, you know, you've harmed people, you need to put right the harm. Let's come up with the solutions rather than me imposing the sanction. Is the I mean again, trying to get I mean, we have simple philosophy of trying to get people to treat others as, as you would want to be treated. You know, how do you think people feel when you say this or do this? And that can go right up to, as I say, you know, we've used it in the context of working around conflict with the police. You know, kids get involved in riot and they think it's great, they think it's exciting, but there's a human being on the other end of that that shield and that brick that you're throwing at them. Um, you know, what do you think it's like for their family? What do you, It's humanising relationships is really what restorative justice is and again it's not this big you know theoretical concept it's it's basic it's been around for thousands of years and it's really about sitting down and talking through a problem giving people the responsibility to make right the harm to be able to reconcile that problem and then resolve the issue because if you do that then there may be the next situation they're more likely to try and think it through themselves or you don't have as much problems further down the line. But that's that's the, as I say, the concept of restorative justice. It's simply restitution, responsibility, and reconciliation. Um, put right the harm, and we're going to put this behind us. It's not here to make you feel like a, you know, that you're stigmatized, that you have some sort of, you know, um, hood or some sort of, you know, outcast. It's about bringing people in. When you when we isolate people, when we we ostracize them, then they're more likely that they then feel victimized, and then they'll take out their frustration, their anger, their pain, whatever it is, on on others, as opposed to saying you've done wrong. Let's put it right. My question is to you. So I work out in the street. Um, I was working for youth initiatives mm-hmm. um, for two and a half years, and I was working on the streets with these guys, but also working on the streets with paramilitaries. Mm-hmm. Have you came across a situation where uh, um, paramilitary young men have actually wanted to get involved with your work, and how did you go about doing that? Well, I mean, uh, restorative justice cannot um, 
basically isolate anyone. And that from day one, um, from our whole conversations, we believe that everyone has a right to play a part in the solution. And I know that sounds a bit cheesy in Northern Ireland, but it really is true. Um, for us, bringing people together, we had parents who had been victims, or their kids had been victims of paramilitary assaults. We had ex-prisoners sitting down. We had police. So for us, we had a programme... Um, that, that specifically was developed around trying to move those who maybe had been involved with paramilitary groups uh, in the past a more positive outlet for for their what they would believe maybe their motivations. So our argument is, if you believe for whatever reason, and we're not justifying people's involvement in violence, because first and foremost, we cannot have people who are involved in our organisation during the day, who are going out and involved in violence when they're outside on the street. So the first premise is you have to believe in a non-violent approach. You have to practice what you preach. Um, and, and for a lot of people coming through transition, that's, that doesn't always happen overnight. So for us, it is about, and we've had young, young people, we've had uh, volunteers involved with alternatives who were ex-prisoners, who were former combatants, um, but first and foremost, they, they sign up to the principles that Alternative stands by, and that is you get properly trained, you get properly um, vetted, and you adhere to our principles in terms of how we work. If you can do that, there's a place for you here should you be a young offender, because we've had some young people who've come full circle um, and got involved in our youth leadership programmes. We've had young lads who were on the peripherals of, of paramilitarism and we've had people who are 50-year-olds, 60-year-olds who who went to prison for a long time getting involved. But we've also, as I say, police officers, you know, people from church groups are involved. So for us, it's about being clear about what our principles are, trying to allow people an opportunity to get involved in that. And as I say, um, the programme Action for Community Transformation was specifically about working with those people who were coming out of conflict because here's the problem. You know, we can say that the elves of Northern Ireland are all down to paramilitaries and they've certainly caused a lot of problems, but they're not the sole problem. They were here before paramilitaries were here. Um, we're still struggling um, with some of the problems that society faces and we believe that paramilitaries can have a role providing they adhere to guidelines that you would all adhere to that that is about respecting young people, um, you know, not doing one thing at, by day and another thing by night, and just basic principles. And as I say, we have people, and we're proud that we have people who have came from that background involved in it. Um, so you can't turn around and say in a restorative approach, because restorative philosophy is about respecting everyone, that everyone is inclusive to the process. So if you exclude anyone from that as your red line, you're undermining what you're trying to do. That's not to say that you allow people to do what they want, but that would happen in a church. That would happen in a youth organisation. You know, you'll have people who come in and maybe you'll do things that Jews won't adhere to, and you have to oversee that and say, no, that's not what we do here. If you continue to do that, you know, you can't be part of the church, you can't be in our youth club, you can't be a volunteer. So for us, it's 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 learning. I'm not saying that every paramilitary buys into the concept of restorative justice. There are a hell of a lot of them that are quite cynical about it. 
But there's a hell of a lot of church people that we have now too who were very cynical of restorative justice as well. And I get that. For us, there's no ulterior motive. It's simply about can we make a difference to the communities we live in? Can we make a difference to a young person that's made wrong choices? Can we support a victim who's been traumatised through crime or antisocial behaviour? And if we can play a part in that, then we're, that's what we're about. Now, as a young person, I did my first hijacking when I was 12. I sold drugs, I, bar- I buried guns, <coughs> and also used violence as a young uh-huh. person. In terms of rehabilitation, and in that case, that particular case, how would you approach that? For you, personally? For me, personally, or a young person like myself? Well, as I say, for us, it's it's all important of what you've been involved in. Um, for us, what is important is, do you accept responsibility and want to make a change? So, again, sometimes that may be that we're working with young people or adults, for that matter, that have already been went into the formal criminal justice system. Sometimes that's about keeping young people out of it. So, depending on the level of the offence or the activity that they're involved in, we would try and simply say, right, okay, here's the things that you've you've done wrong. Here's the things that you've admitted to. Here's the things that we know needs to be addressed. How do we then look at those issues? And what do you need to be doing? What do you need yourself to support you in staying out of that trouble and addressing it? What does you think your victim might need um, to, to have that harm addressed? And what is the community's needs? And that sounds quite simple, but for every person, it's very different. So our approach, we would have someone that would work with that young person, looking at their individual life, looking at what their issues are. It could be homelessness, it could be drugs, it could be family breakdown, it could be involvement with peer groups that are negative. And we try and say, right, okay, what do you need to try and get out of this? How can we help you do that? We're not excusing what you've done, but if you do A, B and C, then you're more likely to try and stay on that positive route. And then we would have people who would work with the people who may be affected if we can identify that person or victim and try and work with them. So would you put me in a room with the victims face-to-face and like have a discussion? Well, if we use an example, a, a specific example of an offence, okay? Restorative justice primarily uses a range of different ways um, and, and probably one of the most common ones that people hear about is victim-offender mediation where you sit in a room, you know, eyeball the person that, that, that uh, done your harm. I have to say that, yes, that is an aspect of what we do, but it's only done after we have worked with the individual victim and we've worked with the individual offender. One, to see, are they genuinely ready to do this? Have they actually addressed some of the issues so that it's not just about, um, you know, going through the motions. It's also very much about making sure that victims aren't re-victimised. It has to be supported. It has to be, you know, through a process where, again, we get a sense that both they're ready for it and we feel that they're ready for it. And if that means that they want to sit in a room and try and hear the impact of that, that offence, great. If they don't want to sit in the room, but they want certain aspects addressed, or they want answers to certain things, we would do that through shuttle mediation, through going to the offender and, and saying, you know, this is the issue that the victim has. They maybe don't want to meet with you, but they want some reassurances that this won't happen again. Or, as I say, sometimes we don't have an offender, so there is no, no one there 
to get into a room with, but those needs are of victims are need to be met. So we would provide support through our mediation and community support workers, through Tandem and the other services, so that their needs are met regardless. Can you as an organisation prevent young people from getting a criminal record, say if they're doing something? Well, it, it is, and very much so. Um, it's a good point you made here. One of the things that we know, and not just in Northern Ireland, but we know across the world, that the younger a young person comes into contact with the criminal justice system, the more likely they are to stay in that system and in that offending behaviour. And I know it sounds a wee bit sort of opposite to what we think. Um, some people think, you know, short, sharp shock, you know, Scare them out of it and you'll, it'll work. We know that doesn't necessarily work. So a big aspect of restorative justice is preventative. If we can keep them out of going into that system, then we'll keep them out of that system. So if you get the opportunity to understand the human cost of your actions, you're less likely to commit those offences again. Now, I'm not saying that every person sits with their victim, never reoffends. But what we do know is, in comparison to all the other approaches, it has a far more positive impact, not only for the offender, but victims have also said, and again, this is across the globe where restorative justice has worked, victims feel far more satisfaction in a process where they're involved, where they're asked, what do you want out of this? How do you feel about what happened to you? And what would you like as a possible solution? When you involve victims, they're far more likely to feel um, positive in what the outcome has been. Um, so regarding the young people that you're working with, what's your relationship like with the families and you know, with the parents and guardians? Is it strong? Um, I suppose, suppose the short answer is yes. Um, but in the type of work that we're working with, um, we have found that parents are a vital link in, in any impact that you have on a young person um i have to say you know a lot of people maybe have this concept that all these kids who are up to no good are all you know coming from alcoholic families and families that don't give a damn about them we have had people in our offices distraught um out of their minds about what their kids have got involved in um and again wanting to help but they've made wrong choices um so for us we try and work whoever that appropriate adult is, whoever that critical contact is. In some cases, it is parents. and In a lot of cases, it's not. It could be a grandparent. It could be maybe an older sibling. Um, so we try and build a relationship because, as I say, we can meet with them as much as we can, but really their family have the true side of what's going on. If you were going to uh, reform the criminal justice system, what would you do? First and foremost is there needs to be a more comprehensive approach to victims' needs. Um, restorative justice plays, unfortunately, a very small role in the wider justice system. Um, so victims feel that they're not adequately being heard. Um, I would certainly put a lot of more money at the preventative side of things. So when we lock a kid up, it costs us hundreds of thousands of pounds, but we'll not pay for, you know, three or four grand to get a bursary to get that kid in the training program or in the and uh, the an educational program it's about giving them the skills to move away from what they've been doing it's not excusing what they've been doing um but again you know within the schools within the community that's where i would be putting it and when they're in 
the criminal justice system more ways in which we can meet their mental health needs, their addiction needs, and also their, their future needs of learning and skills development because they're going to come out and it's better to come out you know, with skills that they can put into practice. So there you go, folks. A great conversation between Billy and the youth work students that came in to find out a wee bit more about alternatives and how they could maybe introduce some restorative justice elements into their youth work practice. Next week, we have another great episode lined up for you. We will have an interview with the team from our South Belfast office. They'll give you a wee bit of an insight into what happens in in their area. They have some slightly different programs uh, going on there, and uh, we think that you'll really enjoy hearing from the team there as well. So don't forget to sign up to the podcast if you're listening to us for the first time. Thank you for taking the time out with us. You can get us on SoundCloud, which is on our SoundCloud page, which is soundcloud.com forward slash talking piece. You can also get us on Apple Podcasts. You can get us on Spotify and anywhere that uh, allows you to take an RSS feed for podcasts. You can get us there. So please do um, check us out, folks. So that's all we have time for now. Until the next episode, take it easy and we'll catch you all again soon.